internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel to telecommuting from home to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm with one of my favorite all-time best-selling authors, Paula Mounier, and she is going to visit with us today and we're going to talk about writing and we're going to talk about how the pandemic has affected writing and, and writers. And as we come into NaNoWriMo, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the November Writers Month. <laughs> I don't even know what right, NaNoWriMo stands for. Paula, help me out here. Okay, it, it's National November Writers Month. Gotcha. So NaNoWriMo. So for many of you, if you look on anything in October Googling, you'll see everything there about preparing for NaNoWriMo, what you need to buy, what you need to eat, what you need to do. There's videos, there's all these things. That's not what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about the emotions. We're going to talk about realistic expectations coming out of a pandemic. And we're going to be talking to a prolific and successful best-selling author. You're going to want to check out her books. Go to Paula Mounier, that's spelled M-U-N-I-E-R.com and look at her stuff while we while we talk. And if you are going to embark on this challenge in October, buying her books, reading them, and looking at the story, the plot, the character development, the word choice, all these things are really great tutorials. You know, there are a lot of books out there, and they always tell you to read, read, read when you're going to write your first book. But you can read, 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 and learn things from authors that are not good habits. So I'm encouraging you to follow Paula and her work and get a copy of her book. She has not paid to be on today's show. She's just a good friend of mine and an amazing, successful woman, both an agent and an author. So she brings a lot to the table. And if you're going to learn from someone, learn from a best-selling author because she did something right. She did the right thing. And when you are embarking on your book, it's really overwhelming. And so I'm so glad, Paula, that you're here today with me because there's so many young writers out there or new writers. They might be middle-aged or up writing their first book. And there's so much stuff out there, but not all of it's good. No, no, not all of it is good. I mean, no matter what you're undertaking, you want to make sure that you get good advice because sometimes bad advice is worse than no advice at all. And there's a lot of bad advice out there. And, you know, especially when you're beginning, you tend to associate with other beginners. They don't know any more than you do. Right. And so you can find yourself in a writer's group where you're writing to please the other members of the group and taking their critiques when they don't know any more than you do. Right. Right. So I always tell people, if you're in a writer's group and it's great to be in a writer's group because it does give you a deadline and it gives you camaraderie and all the things you need as a writer to keep going, but you you don't want to be the best writer in the group or the most well-published writer in the group. You want to be, it's like buying a house. You want to be the fixer upper on the block. You don't want to buy the best house in the block. You want to be the fixer upper in your writer's group so that you're learning from people who are more experienced, better published, uh, you know, and better writers than you are. 
Well, and that's the thing that, you know, I was doing a little survey in preparation for today's show. And I, I went to all these YouTubers and I'm watching these YouTubers that are teaching character arc and they're teaching story and they're teaching plotting. And, you know, I don't know a lot of this stuff because it wasn't in my wheelhouse, you know, for the things that I've done in my career. And I'm looking at this, these best-selling books that I've read, that I'm looking at some of these kind of how-to books, (laughs) some of yours, you know, like, you know, the writer's guide to beginnings, you know, and I'm looking at this stuff and I'm watching the YouTube going, okay, you don't know what you're talking about. And you're telling me you have 20 published books, but then I look at your books and they're all self-published. And I actually bought one of these ladies books because I just wanted to see what it was. And it had grammar errors. It had punctuation errors. It had plot holes, like all these things. So I think it's really important to have somebody you can trust because you're not only educated in your genre, but you're working on both sides of the genre. You're an author and you're also an agent. And I think let's talk about what those two skill sets bring to the show today. Well, I think, you know, I've sat it virtually every place at the table in publishing except for booksellers. So I was an acquisitions editor for many years and acquisitions editors are the people who buy projects for their publishing house, right? They're the people that as an agent now, I have to sell my clients work too. So I've been the acquisitions editor. I've been the agent. I've been the author. So, and I know a lot of writers, right? Because I represent writers Hmm. and I have a lot of writers friends. I've been part of the writing community for decades now. And so I've learned a lot about how it works, you know, as a writer and as an author, which are two kind of different things, you know, an author is the business part, but first you have to write that book so you can get an agent and find a publisher and sell it to an acquisitions editor. And that writing part, I think sometimes people underestimate how difficult it is to write a good book. It's not easy to write a good book. No. And I, I think, you know, I've done many shows over the years. Like I think of the show I did with uh, Joel Fotinos over at Tarchaparaji. Maybe he's not there anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he was so funny because he's like, San, he goes, you know, you can't fix what isn't written down. you got to write your book, write your book, write your book. And, you know, I will just say from my own experience, Paula, you know, I was, I was, had a lot of publishing books in my twenties, but then my thirties and forties, I was raising my kids, building my media a company, you know, traveling and speaking on leadership, you know, all these different things. And then when I sat down a couple of years ago to write my book, I was shocked at a, how much time it took, how much rewriting it did and how much a hundred thousand words. was. (laughs) Seriously. I'm like, Wow. You know, because when you're a reader, you devour things. And, you know, I wrote a bunch of business books, so they're written to spec. They're like, we want 10 chapters. We want 2,500 words a chapter or 3,500 words a chapter. Like it was really formulaic. And the first my attempt at this, and I feel so bad because Gina was so gracious when I handed her my Mishigosh of nonsense you know, cause she's like, is this a romance? Is this a, this, is this a, this, and what is this character doing? And, you know, she was so lovely and she left me with my self-esteem, which was really good <laughs> because not a lot of people can do that. Um, and we're talking about Gina Panettieri, the, um, she's one of the editors or the head editor at Talcap Notch. Yeah. And you guys were so gracious and loving to me because it really is like, 
giving birth to like a quarter of a baby, you know, like the feet are there and maybe a year. (laughs) (laughs) Paula, I'm just going to stop you here for a second because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor today is Prose and Prose is spelled P-R-O-S-E. And Prose makes custom hair care that's effective because it's personal and they use these natural ingredients with proven results. And Prose customizes every product in your routine from shampoo to supplements. I have major hair struggles. I went through immunotherapy last year, so my hair is much thinner and it's super dry because I live in the Southern California desert. And what I need in a shampoo and conditioner is lots of moisture, lots of shine. And I took their quiz and they ask me all these different in-depth questions. And then when they analyze your answers, they actually create this custom product for me and a routine. So I've got all my hair goals covered with pros. And I want to just give you a little example, like my pre-shampoo hair mask that has plant collagen, lilac, it's got jojoba oils, it's got castor seed oil and mango butter. Like this is good enough to eat you guys. And I love that they attend to the UV rays, the pollution in my area, because I live in Southern California, lots of smoke pollution and the wind because we have a huge wind. And these are the things that come from your consultation. I love the key ingredients. Everything smells so good. It just makes my hair terrific. And I don't have to fight my hair in the morning, Paula, because it's like horse hair. It's really thick. It's really blonde. It's really heavy. There's lots of it and it's super thin. So I love that my hair's texture now is softer. It's shinier. I have a problem with frizzies and it doesn't seem to be as frizzy. If you're not 100% positive, Pros is the best hair care you've had. They will take the products back, no question asked. So Pros is a healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation. It is super cool. You're going to enjoy it. And get 15% off your first order today. So go to pros.com slash coach talk. Go to pros.com slash coach talk. That's pros, P-R-O-S-E dot com slash coach talk for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Now we're talking today with best-selling author and literary agent Paula Mounier about this NaNoWriMo that's coming up. um, for writers. And it's such an exciting time. And you could use your hair mask from prose while you're writing your novel. But you know, Paula, writing a novel is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to do. And it does take practice. And it takes rewriting. But you have to know, you know, first you get the words on the page. But but for something like NaNoWriMo is great, because you know, you've used made decided in advance i'm going to devote yep. this month i'm going to set aside the time which is the hardest thing for ma- many people who want to write a book is the time because it is a time time suck you know it, just, yep. it, it, it takes time to do it to do it and it takes even more time to do it right so you've got this time period but then now you have the time but then then what then you have to know what to write and and that can be difficult and that's why it's good to try to do some kind of planning, you know, whether it's writing character sketches, whether it's writing a scene by scene outline, whether it's sitting down with a bunch of index cards and, and deciding, okay, I'm writing a mystery. So that means I have to have a murder and maybe two murders. And, uh, you know, I have to have a sleuth and that sleuth has to follow the clues and has to, you know, find the murderer and confront the murderer. There are certain obligatory scenes in every genre. And so if you make a list of those obligatory scenes, if you were writing romance, it would be, you know, very simple. Boy meets girl, boy gets, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. Beginning, middle, end, right? And then you can add to that. And in a romance, it would be meet cute, 
the day they meet, it would be first kiss, first fight, breakup, reconciliation, maybe wedding at the end. So you can start with those sort of obligatory scenes, those scenes that you know, either you have to put in the book because the readers who read romances expect those scenes to happen or somehow tweak or twist them to make them new, right? And so that gives you a little skeleton, a little blueprint. And from that, you can build out the scenes of your novel and you need about 60 scenes minimum for a novel. So if you're starting out that way and you have your index cards and you just sit down and write all the scenes you can think of, start with the big scenes, you know, the meet cute, the first kiss, the breakup, and then fill in the others. And then you have a little blueprint that you can follow. See, and I think that's so smart. Um, and I, I, you know, I had read your, one of your books that had that whole plotting. What's the plotting book called? Plot Perfect. Plot Perfect. Yes. And I, I, I like highlighted, I, you know, did everything like that. And then I sat down and I wrote and I did, I wrote for like a couple months and I went all over the map and it was a really good thing. I think when people are writing their first book, don't have the expectation that, you know, Hemingway is going to flow through your fingertips. Like you learn a lot along the way. Like I got lost in places and I'm like, oh, that's why Paula says use the plot cards, you know, and then I'm like, oh, now I I chase some, you know, shiny hubcaps, like other storylines. And I'm like, oh, that's why I need a plot or that's why I need a character arc. And I think, you know, your first, your first draft of your first book ever, I think you should approach it. And this is where NaNoWriMo comes in because a lot of people do this. Just get to your target and keep trying and then make notes along the way of what you don't know, what's confusing, what you're having a hard time with. Because now when I go back and I look at my old manuscript from like a year and a half ago, I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. Because it's like, you can drive a car in your head all you want. But when you get on the road, you're going to have to look for signs and exits and know how to stop. Those things I don't think you can learn from a book until you've written it. So you can read all this stuff because a lot of people do that getting ready to get ready. I go to people's houses they're like, oh, I'm a writer. I'm going to write a book. And they have 900 books. They've read them all and they haven't written a book. Yeah. So yeah, that getting ready to get ready when you actually sit down and write, if you take the pressure off yourself and go, this is just a first draft. I'm just learning and then all those things that I read in your books, you know, the plot book and the the beginning book, I'm like, oh, that's what she meant. Absolutely. I mean, there's I used to say this to when I was a I was started off as a reporter and I was newspaper editor and I had this reporter who was always late with his stories, late every week. He's a great high-tech reporter even now. He's he's great. But at the time, it was his first job as a reporter. He could not get a story in on time. And when you're doing a weekly, I mean this the newspaper has to come out every week. You can't, you can't say, oh, tomorrow's good. And so, I, you know, you have a deadline that you have to meet. And so I, I would just tell him, don't get it right, get it written, you know? Right. And that's the thing with the first draft. And that's why Nano's great. Just get it right. Don't get it right, get it written. You can fix it later. And that's the glory of writing is that you can always fix it later. And that's really where the magic happens is in the rewrite. I'm just writing that down. Because I'm a terrible procrastinator with my writing because I just, I need it to be a certain way. And that's my own issues. Like, and I think I'm just going to put this out there. 
when I was 20 something and I was writing for a large publishing group um, that produced grocery store category romances. Okay. (laughs) They gave me a formula. They gave me a thing. I knocked that sucker out. Okay. Because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I had the hubris of youth that was just like, well, anything that drips from my fingertips is gold. Now I'm 50 and I have some professional credibility and it's been really a challenge for me, Paula, to start again as a beginner. Like that was the biggest aha that my first book as a grown-up taught me. It showed me how much I didn't know. And that was a little tough. I'll be honest. It was a little tough on my ego because, you know, we're professional women and we raised our kids. We reached a certain age and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. I don't know enough to do this craft. And my ego is kind of taking a big shot in the heart. Yes. Well, you know, all of us who wrote nonfiction first or even formulaic fiction, when we come to write a novel, you know, that's not formulated, it's something we really care about. You know, a lot of what you learned that made you a good newspaper reporter, made you a good, um, you know, made you a good syndicated columnist, made you a good uh, how-to writer, you have to unlearn. Yes. And it, because it, it, each medium is completely different. I have screenwriters who are clients who are writing their first novels and they have to unlearn certain aspects of their craft. And I even did a, a, a post on careerauthors.com, which some of you should check out, careerauthors.com. Um, all kinds of great free advice for writers. I did a post on your nonfiction is showing. You can always tell the nonfiction writers <laughs> who start to write fiction because part of it read like nonfiction instead of fiction. So you have to learn, kind of unlearn. The good news is you know how to write. You've been putting words together. You know how right. to write. The bad news is you have to unlearn some bad habits and learn some new ones. Right, right. Or, or I don't say I wouldn't say they're bad habits. I would say you have to learn the appropriate habits for the genre. Because exactly. one of the best pieces of advice you gave me, and this was a couple of years ago, and I did it. I took a screenwriting class. Over the pandemic, I got on Wondrium, who's a sponsor, and I, I, I also bought a couple other online screenwriting classes from from you know legitimate sources. They were a little expensive, but I was so glad I did, Paula, because that class and you know and it was I think it was thirty two lectures at a half hour each. Like that's some serious chops there, and. I got to understand plot and character development, even though they were talking about screenplays, the bones were the same. And between your books and your recommendation, I feel like as I start, you know, I've, I've cleared my schedule for um, November, December, January to actually get back to writing. Yay. And I'm going to be kinder to myself this time, and I'm not going to be as nervous. I got so nervous, Paula, when I sent the thing over to Gina, because I knew it wasn't good. I knew it wasn't up to snuff, but I gave my word I would deliver it on this date, and I like got hives, and, you know, because I... I didn't want to embarrass myself. And I thought to myself, like now a year later or a year and a half later, post pandemic, I'm like, why was I afraid? She knows I'm a new writer. She knows, you know, but we get so in our heads 
And that's the thing with NaNoWriMo. I tried to do NaNoWriMo like, (laughs) okay, this is just going to sound so stupid. Single mom, going through cancer treatments, running a company and caring for my 87-year-old dad. Yeah, I'm going to have time to do NaNoWriMo for November. Like, what was I thinking? Not to mention... It's Thanksgiving in November, and most of us have to, you know, prepare for that. So I've never been able to do NaNoWriMo. I did the July cabin, camp cab, NaNoWriMo camp, because it was in July. I did that once, and that was great. Um, but but November is a tough time for a lot of people. Well, it is. And, and here's the other thing, and this is, you know, we talk about mindset and how, you know, our minds can be, you know, like I, I used to teach a lot with Marines and we teach the thing battles are won or lost in the mind. You know, you, you're going to lose weight. You're going to go to the gym. Your body says, your mind says, oh, I'm tired. You can do it tomorrow. You just lost the battle. And so I'm very cognizant of these battles. And what was interesting to me is I did accomplish like 45,000 words for NaNoWriMo. But again, here's that. Thank you. And but at the time, I'm like, I flunked NaNoWriMo. I failed because I didn't get to my word target because that's what they said. And I think if I were to give advice to writers today, if you complete a word, if you sit down and write something, something is better than nothing. And it's a process. And that's why I love that you're so candid about, you know, the difficulties in writing. And I'm, I'm curious, Paula, what does your writing day look like? Like, how do you navigate? Cause you have kids, grandkids travel, you've got family living with you. I mean, you've got a lot on your plate. And so that's not an excuse. No, it's not an excuse. I mean, it, I am not the best example. I know there are people who write every single day. They write every single day, no matter what they, you know, hashtag 5am writers club. They're oh. there. You know, not me. I don't do anything. (laughs) I know. And I'm not a morning person. So, but, but when I'm on, when I'm writing a novel and I just turned in the rewrite of book four of my series, my mystery series. uh, Yay. Um, But you know, every time I sit down to write, I'm like, how did I do this? I forgot. How did I do this? Because it's not easy. And I have to remind myself how I did it, but I do have my, my tools, right? I have my outline. I have my index cards. I have my time and I, I don't give myself a word count. NaNoWriMo, you should all know if you're doing NaNoWriMo, if you write anything at all during November, you should consider yourself a success because it's a very high bar that word count, that that word count goal for NaNoWriMo is very hard. I've never written 50,000 words in a month in my life that I've published, you know, I don't even know how many books now. So that's a very high target to me. On a good day, I write 500 words on a really good day towards the end of the novel when I'm sort of, you know, heading for the finish line and hurtling towards it, I can write maybe, maybe 2000 words. That's a huge day for me. And that's by the end when I write, that's when you're like chugging through towards the finish line. Exactly. At the beginning, I'm lucky if I get 500 words. So you, every, you have to be good to yourself as a writer. Otherwise your well dries up and you can't write anything. Well, yeah. And if you beat yourself up, like I'm the queen of beating myself up. I'm like, you know, oh, I mean, look at it, Paula. It's, it's sitting here (laughs) on my desk. And I was so happy that I put it at the top of the pile, rather the bottom of the pile. You know, like 
little baby steps, you know, as we, we, you know, we navigate these things because realistically kids get sick, parents get sick. We have to go to funerals, you know, we have to eat and shower. So my, my curiosity as I poke into your private life is do you set a time during the week? Like, is it like a regular job that you show up or do you wait till the spirit moves you? Do you write in the same place? Like, are you like, for me, I'm very much Pavlov's dog. When I sit in this office that you see me in, I'm in radio. My radio voice is even on, even though I might not be on the radio. Like I'm really a creature of habit. And when I write, I write up in a, on a desk in my bedroom where there is no technology. So I'm just curious what it looks like for you? Well, certainly rituals help because rituals, you're literally training your subconscious that when I sit down at this certain desk with this certain laptop, I am going to write fiction. I have a a client, wonderful writer. She writes nonfiction and fiction, and she has two different computers. And she's always working on both a nonfiction project and a fiction project at the same time. And she has both two computers. This is Mira Lester, wonderful writer. She has two computers, both are open. And as she goes about her day, she lives on a little farmette and she's always gardening and, you know, making preserves and all this stuff. In addition to writing, you know, how many books a year she writes. She, whenever she goes by, she'll be like, oh, I have an idea for the novel. And she'll sit down. Oh, I have an idea for my nonfiction book in progress. And she'll, and she'll go to the other computer. And I think what a clever way because yes. she's trained her subconscious and keeps those two laptops open, right? So now for me, I have my index cards. I, have, I sit down at the beginning and I, I brainstorm a plot, right? Beginning, middle, end, obligatory scenes. And then I do some character development. I usually have an opening image in my head, which is the opening image of the story. And if I have that, then I can go. And I have my index cards. So I have like 60 scenes plotted out and I can rearrange them at will. And then I just make sure I sit down every day if I'm in the middle of a project. I, I, even if that means late at night, and often it means late at night for me because yeah. when you know everybody's asleep. It used to be, uh, one writer once said, she only wrote at night because I am not needed in their dreams, which is such a lovely thing, right? Because she had kids at home and, and when they're all asleep, she's not needed in their dreams. I, I don't have you know kids at home anymore, but I have my mother and I have, Um, three dogs and and everybody's asleep. And so even the dogs are asleep. And so I, I get a lot of writing done when everyone else goes to bed because I have I'm so, yes, I'm so glad you said two things because the kids made fun of me because I'm like, I bought myself a computer that I just write on because I don't check email on there. I don't do my radio stuff. Like it's really easy to get distracted, you know, so that focusing. So thank you for validating me on my ridiculously expensive computer just for writing. Um, but the other thing you said is, is when the, the energy of the house changes when everybody's asleep. You know, when you're going through your day and, you know, the kids are coming and going from sports, my dad is in the living room. I'm like, I'm like 1130. He's got to have lunch 430. He's got to have dinner 730. He's got to have breakfast, you know, and and I bought this nifty little pill thing like that has a timer on it and it beeps if I don't give him his meds and you put a whole month's worth of pills in there and it goes tick, 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 tick. And then if you don't take a, if he doesn't get his morning pills, it's like beep, 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 beep. So it's 
Yeah, it's relieved some of that. Like we as moms carry so much in our head. And as caregivers, if you're a parent caregiver, sandwich generation, you have underage kids and elderly parents in your household. There's a name for us. I'm the queen of sandwich generation. Um, Juggling these things. I know when my dad's asleep, when my kids are asleep, when the dogs are asleep and all of my clients are asleep, there's nothing that I need to do. And the pressure is off because I really think it's energy and pressure for us night writers. Absolutely. And you have to give yourself permission, no matter some people are morning people, they like to get up early, whatever. Give yourself permission to turn off your phone. I mean, I'm an agent. So I and I live you know, in the Northeast on Eastern time. But I deal with people in Europe. I have family in Europe and I have lots of colleagues, you know, publishing colleagues in Europe, Germany, France, England. And they're, you know, six hours ahead. So I'll get emails from them really late. And then I have West Coast publishing people and Hollywood people who are calling me and they're behind. So I could literally be answering emails. Yes. 24 hours a day. But I at some point I say no, and I turn, you know, I turn it off because, or put it to sleep so that I can get the quiet I need. I, I really have to have psychic space in my head. Yes. And that means I have to clear the decks. And that's easier for me when everybody's asleep or not in the room, you know, and I don't think people understand that if you're, you're, you're writing what, what uh, John Gardner called the fictive dream, right? You're in a dream, you're, you're dreaming. If, if, if nonfiction writing is thinking on paper, then writing fiction is dreaming on paper. Sure. And it's just like when you're dreaming at night, if someone comes up and interrupts you, the dream is gone. Absolutely. It disappears, you can't remember it. And I don't think people, other people who aren't writers appreciate how distracting it is. If someone comes in with just, I just need one minute of your time. That thought is gone, right? Right. That line of dialogue, that scene, that character quirk is gone and you can't necessarily get it back. So that uninterrupted time of quiet is really important, I think. I think it's everything because, you know, and it's, and it's true of any sort of creative process. Like when I do my, like right now I'm working on my 20, my, my Q1 2022 uh, show runs. And I have, you know, 20 episodes on four different shows. And then my company produces another 20 podcasts. So I have to have that quiet time. And my dad, bless his heart, will come in and he'll bring me like a cup of coffee or a cup because my office is like the tomb. I think there's like an Indian dead burial ground underneath my office. It's the coldest room in the house. Like, so he'll bring me in a cup of hot chocolate. And I'm like, as much as I appreciate and I love that, that little, even tiny little kind gesture pulls me out of, because it's really an alternate reality. I am living in Q1 2022. I'm seeing these shows. I'm seeing these, these, you know, through lines. Cause it, you know, people don't realize a good radio show isn't just random. It has a through line. And if we have, you know, all these things coming up and then I dream about what, what writers will I reach out to? What, what, you know, experts, you know, subject matter experts will I reach out to? And I'm literally an alternate universe. And that's very similar to what you're talking about. You're literally in another dimension. You're somewhere in your mind, but outside of your mind. And there's, there's people and there's trees and there's dogs and there's all this stuff. And then somebody comes in, it's like, boom, like it popped a bubble. 
It's very difficult. You know, um, the best writers, you know, the reason we write novels and read novels is because what novels can give us that TV and film and, you know, video games, all that other stuff can't, is that we can really get into the character's head. We yes. know their thoughts and feelings, right? Um, and so for a writer, if you're writing fiction, you are literally inhabiting your characters. It's like being a method actor. So it's those kind of distractions and disturbances can really put you off, right? So you have to get in that space and stay in that space. Mm-hmm. And some of us need quiet to do that. Others don't. And I didn't when I was younger, but the older I get, the more I like my peace and quiet, you know? Well, you know, like, it's funny you say that because I do love my peace and quiet, but you know, when we were reporters, you know, there was noise going around and there were times that I had to phone in a story, you know, I'm phoning in the story and I'm dictating it from my head. And that's a skill set. And that was hard for me. And I, you know, I got very good at it, but I haven't had to use that skill set. Like we haven't had to, um, you know, that's why I chose to work at home. I moved my company in my house and, you know, I have other offices where people can go, but I don't go there. (laughs) I I don't want to be there. Like, I don't want to smell you. I don't want to see any movement. Like I'm a very sensitive, delicate little flower that way, that when I need to create for my company or create for my clients, I need to have like a sensory deprivation tank with just a screen. (laughs) Well, you know, I started off as a reporter too, and and I always had kids at home. So even I worked at home, my fellow reporters would come over and, and I would be, you know, in a tiny little cottage and the kids would be literally running around my yep. desk. But but I could do that. First of all, it was nonfiction. I find it easier to do with nonfiction. Yes, very and it much so. shorter pieces, right? So I could keep the whole piece. Of, I can keep, you know, a thousand words, 500 words, 5,000 words piece in my head. And so I didn't, I could do it even with a lot of distraction. But when you're writing a novel, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's like you say, it's a hundred thousand words. And that's why to keep going, you just need to know how, what you're going to write today. Right. And that's why some kind of outline, some kind of index cards, whatever it is you use to sort of plot out your story, you can always know, here's something I can write today. Here's a scene I can write today. And that's why it's so good you took that screenwriting course, because a lot of people have trouble learning to dramatize their stories and screenwriting, taking a screenwriting class. I did that too early in my career. That really taught me to write in scenes. Right. Well, and what I loved about what you taught me um, and that I'm, I'm, you know, I've been using is that when you have, it's like mindful writing, this mindfulness, like when you sit down to write and you think, oh my gosh, I have 97,000 more words to write. Okay, bad. No, that does not work. That does not help anyone. And then sitting down and going, well, what will I write today? Well, now you've burned up your creative energy just with the decision-making process. And you can make a bunch of decisions in your head, get decision fatigue, get up and leave and get absolutely nothing accomplished. So to have a index card or a post-it or something on Scrivener, you know, whatever that little is, to know just what you have to accomplish today allows you to stay in the space. You're not time traveling forward of going, you know, like, what am I going to do tomorrow or the next day? Or what what didn't I do yesterday? You know, you're not time traveling. You're staying present in the moment, very mindful. And then you can sit down and go, okay, I can accomplish this. Just like with running a company. You know, I couldn't run a company 20 years ago like I run today. Everything's compartmentalized. I have systems. And I know when I come into my workspace, 
I have a list of what I need to accomplish, the big three that I'm going to do today, and then the rest is if I can get it done. But if I hit my big three, Paula, I've done a good job because whether you're running a media company or you're a best-selling author or you're writing your first book, it's really important to have a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day because if all you focus on is you didn't get to 100,000 words, you're going to sink your battleship every single day. Absolutely. You just have to you know, do the best you can every day. And if you write something every day, and let's say you did your writing for the day, so you know where you stopped, right? Um, but it's good to, to stop when you have a kind of a clue about what you're going to write tomorrow. You don't have to know, but you can tell yourself as you're drifting off to sleep at night, this actually works because your subconscious will help you. And, and you say, you know, okay, I wrote about... You know, my, my heroine, you know, she went to this place to ask this person about this situation, um, say it's a mystery and she's investigating, right? And what, what would she do next? And then if that question is in your mind when you drift off, oftentimes in the morning, you'll have an answer. So you can harness the power of your subconscious to help you keep on track as a writer. I do that all the time. And I know I'm really in my story. When I wake up at 3 a.m. with the answer and then I have to stop and write it down so I can remember it the next morning. Well, that's so funny that you say that because that's what programmers do. That was I, I was taught that as a programmer. They're like, OK, when you get to a point where you know what needs to be done next, but you're not really sure, take a nap. And I would like, you know, my, my coworkers, they would always laugh. They're like, Oh, you know, stand shut our office. It's nap time. And sometimes I'd lay on the floor. Sometimes I'd lay on the chair. Sometimes I'd do whatever, but I found, and if I had a particularly difficult programming problem, I could say before I go to bed at night, okay, guys, I need you to help me figure this out. And I'm going to go to sleep. And in the morning, I'll have the solution more often than not, I would wake up and all the keys fall into place. Yeah, it's kind of a miracle. And you, you really should take advantage of it. I mean, I think writers, it's such an interesting process to, to be a writer and to, and to, at first you're just writing and you don't really know where it comes from necessarily. Um, but then as you, as you continue to write, you learn what rituals work for you and what pays off for you. And maybe it's okay. Every day I sit down at my desk, I have a, a cup of coffee with two sugars and one milk and I turn my computer on and my subconscious, my whole being knows I'm going to write today. You know, that really does work. Oh, it's super works. It super works. Look at my, my, I have so many of these. Sometimes I post them on Facebook because I got a new one that said like, I'm busy and it has like, you know, Jane Eyre. It has all these little books on it. And then the other one I bought had a dog with a, like a flowered, you know, halo on its head and its tongue sticking out. I have these coffee mugs and I don't always put coffee. I can put tea or hot chocolate or, you know, cafe au lait. But when I grab this coffee mug in the morning, it's one of those like tin travel mugs. I know I'm ready to get on the radio and I walk over and I go to my kettle. I turn the hot water on. I pick whatever I'm going to put in my flavoring. I put my hot water on. And when I sit down and I connect to my computer and my cup is here, I'm ready to perform. I'm ready to do my show. And 16 years, Paula, I've been doing this. So 
when the kids are like, mom, you want this one for the car? I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm not going to ruin the mojo. I'm like a batter, you know, that has this, you know, stance. I'm like, no, these are my radio cups. And then I have ones with handles that are my writing cups. Ah, there you go. Well, you know, it's, it's funny how these things really do work for you. So I'd have this thing where if I'm stuck, I take a walk with the dogs. The writers love my dogs love writer's block. They get really long walks, but a lot of, you know, walking is kind of like sleeping. It's kind of like driving. It's, it's meditative. Kind of, absolutely. Yeah, like yoga, you know, ideas will come to you as you're walking because you're thinking or washing the dishes. Agatha Christie used to say the best time to plot a novel was while you're washing the dishes. That's right. That's All those right. kinds of things, you, like you taking a nap, you know, you take a break, go for a walk, do whatever it is you have to do to, to shut off that part of your brain and let your subconscious bubble up to the surface, all those good ideas you need. Absolutely. You know, I, I was talking to a, um, a, a writer and she said something very interesting. And she said, you know, there are stories that live in the ethos, like, you know, just in the universe percolating and around and they will, you know, kind of go through the chakra into the head and they'll float around in your head for a while. And if you don't write it, that thought will leave and go to another writer. And that's how she explained, you know, an author who had an idea and then somebody else wrote the same story or the, you know, eerily similar. It's not that somebody stole it, but there are all these wonderful things floating around in the ethos. So if you don't grab it and work on it, somebody else will. And I love that, that kind of like, as you just said, well, we don't know where stories come from, but they come to us. So I think that's kind of a neat idea. It is. Well, it's that collective unconscious, right? That all of us are, we're all subject to the same influences, right? A lot of times, right? So, so it makes sense that we would come up with similar ideas, but yeah, if you have a really good idea, write it and write it now. And <laughs> as an agent, that's me talking as an agent, right? right. <laughs> write it and write it now if you have a good idea, because high concept really rules in publishing and every other, you know, TV, film, every other medium. So. I love that. Well, and I love you too, Paula. And I'm so excited. I'm going to actually get to meet Paula in person next week after what three or four years. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And you guys, seriously, check out her website, paulamunier.com, M-U-N-I-E-R. She's in every bookstore. She's on Amazon. And if you want to learn from someone, if you want to mentor, if you want to model after someone, use her books and then also check out her writing books. I swear by them. They are so good. They're clear. They're easy to read. And you can, with a highlighter and a pen, start putting your plot together. You can figure out how to begin. These are really important things. And her book, Writing with Quiet Hands, is just really a lovely, lovely book to read. So I want you guys to check her out, get your copies, and we will have her back again after NaNoWriMo. And we will talk about her new book that's coming out since she just finished it and turned it in. We'll have more to talk about in the future. We'll be back again next week. Thank you so much. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.